0: Uh, The reading today is taken from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 4, verses 23 to 37. The believers pray. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any one of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. From, among, from time to time, those who owned uh, land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord.
1: thanks John let's pray together so I pray simply Lord that the words that I say and the thoughts of all our hearts would be pleasing to you this morning my rock and Jesus my redeemer amen so um, I'm just gonna grab something excuse me a minute You can take the man out of the all-age, but you can't take the all-age out of the man. (laughs) Um, It's not a baptism, don't worry. Um, So we'll come on to that in a moment. Uh, A little story about my week. So I've been playing some table tennis with my son Noah. As many of you know, I love table tennis. And um, the problem with playing table tennis with Noah is that he is just that little bit better than me. And um, he always beats me. But it's it's only just by a little bit. So um, if he he thrashed me, you know, five games to to love every time or whatever, it wouldn't be a problem. But he tends to beat me in games sort of 11-8, 11-7. And then overall games, it's always like 5-2 or 4-3. And and so I always feel that I'm that close. And if I was just a little bit sharper, a little bit um, kind of younger, thank you. (laughs) Fair point. Um, <laughs> then I, I just wouldn't be able to beat him. And I can't beat him anymore. Um, and um, th- so this is a confession. My confession is that this sometimes winds me up. <laughs> and uh, one such occasion was on a Thursday. And, and I'm trying to be nice because he's got his A-levels. So I'm kind of like trying to break up his revision with some table tennis. And um, there, was, there was one particular show. The worst thing about... the worst, when, if he plays a brilliant shot and you just can't get it back, fair, fair, fair play. But um, the, the most, if you play table tennis, you know that the most annoying shots are where you know that you could have done better. So um, like when you serve and it hits the net, and, and it's like you've gifted him a point, and that is so infuriating. And there was one of these occasions in, the, in this match on Thursday where, um, where I just did something stupid and gave him the point, and I was so angry with myself. And I got my table tennis bat. I should have brought it in, but I wasn't planning to say this until I got it this morning. <laughs> I got my table tennis bat, and I went to whack it on the table in anger at myself. And um, you know how your brain works really, really quickly in these situations. It's amazing how fast the human brain works. And as I was about to do this, I thought, Mark, you'll break the bat or break the table. Well, it's stop, you know. So what I did was, in that split second, I adjusted what I was doing, and instead of slamming the bat down, I slammed the handle of the bat down onto the table, like, you know, just like that. Now, the problem was, of course, <laughs> the problem was, um, I, the, the, bat, the handle was slightly in my grip. So when I slammed down the handle, I pinched this bit of my hand with the full force of the tail tennis bat, slammed down on the table. Um, <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> John? Yes, it hurt. And, and, um, and to be fair, it's still a little bit tender now. Thanks for asking, John. And um, I'll, 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 I'm going to come back to this later on. I think Noah probably... At those times, I don't think he said this, but he, Noah's usual response in those situations is to laugh at me and say, Dad, you're a vicar, which is... <laughs> perfect. Anyway, we are... Um, There's a reason I've told you that story, we're going to come back to it later on. Um, We're talking, we spoke last week at Pentecost, and we're going to speak uh, for the next few weeks about being filled with the Spirit. And this is something that we're quite familiar with, the sense of being filled with the Spirit. But my question is, um, and I know this is a really stupid, obvious question, but when we're filled with the Spirit, what are we actually filling up? What, what, What does that mean? What does it actually mean that we're filled with the Spirit? What, what is being filled? And I think the simple answer is that the Bible tells us that when we are filled with the Spirit, the bit of us that, the, where the Spirit goes, if you like, is our hearts. So we're going to be a little bit visual to help us. This sponge represents our hearts. The water represents the Holy Spirit. And when we say, come Holy Spirit, come and fill us again, what we're essentially doing is we're inviting God to pour the water of his spirit into the sponge of our hearts. Now, a few verses to kind of back this up. 2 Corinthians 1.22, Paul says that the Father gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. He also says in Galatians 4.6, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, of course, this doesn't... Well, it it doesn't only literally mean our physical hearts. I do think, actually, we get physically filled with the Holy Spirit. But I think what it means is we have to understand what heart meant to the writers of of Luke's time when he was writing this passage from Acts or or Paul's time when he was writing those letters. What did he mean by heart? Well, the heart has such a wide, all-encompassing meaning. It refers to the inner person... It can refer to your mental functions, your ability to think and remember. It is almost like the seat of all your spiritual life, your physical life, and your moral life. Or as one person put it in, in a summary I read, it's your thoughts, passions, desires, affections, appetites, purposes, and endeavors. So when we say that the Holy Spirit is filling our hearts, what we're saying is that the Spirit, we're welcoming the Spirit into everything about us the seat of all we are, physical, spiritual, moral. All our desires, all our thoughts, all our memories, all our rational thinking, all our irrational thinking, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to fill those. Now, this is really good and and helpful, and this is why the Spirit is such a gift. One of the reasons the Spirit is such a gift is because what we fill our hearts with is of vital, literally vital, importance. Proverbs 4 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Elsewhere in Proverbs we read, As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Jesus emphasised this himself. He, he taught in Luke 6, he says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up where? In his heart. But an evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. What is in our hearts is essential. It is vital. And that's why the Spirit is a gift, because God is saying, I want to fill your heart with those good things. If only you will let me. Now, um, I'd like to look at, uh, at our, our, our reading today, which is from Acts 4, um, And there's a couple of examples of what this looks like in the early church. So before we do that, I just need to give you the context. The context was the disciples had gone out from that first day of Pentecost and had begun to preach the good news. But they had come against opposition and persecution from the leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the others. And immediately before our passage today, what we see is that they had had seized Peter and John, they had arrested Peter and John, they had kept them in prison overnight, they had brought them before them the next morning and had questioned them, and they had said, you can go, but you are not to speak in the name of Jesus again. You are not to speak about Jesus. And then it says, uh, after further threats, they let them go. That's the context. Peter and John trying to preach the good, the good news about Jesus and facing this huge opposition from the religious leaders of the day and being threatened if they carry on. What they do is they go back to their community. They go back to their friends. They go back to this family of believers. And what happens now is we see an overflow of the fact that they were people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see this overflow in two ways. We see the overflow of the Spirit in their lives expressed through the words they use, and specifically in today's passage through their prayers. And secondly, we see the overflow of being filled with the Spirit in their action, specifically in their generosity. So we're going to look at those two things, their words through prayer and their actions through their generosity. So first of all, let's talk about their prayer. You know, the Bible, again, is specific and and quite clear about the fact that the words we say, the words we say, whether it's our prayers or whatever, the words are a product of our hearts. Jesus, when he taught about good things coming out of the good things from the good heart, made this specific. He said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what we say is a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. And so our prayers will be a reflection of what's going on in our hearts because that's, that's where we speak from. Jesus actually, interestingly, also, was, Jesus can be quite firm sometimes, quite harsh almost. And in Matthew 12, we see him calling people a brood of vipers because he says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That's pretty uncompromising stuff from Jesus. He's saying there's a direct connection between what we say and what goes on in our hearts. So we see these early Christians full of the Holy Spirit, soaked in the Holy Spirit, and what pours out of them is fervent, passionate prayer. First of all, like we've done here this morning, they worship in their prayer. If you look back at, the, at Acts chapter 4, you see that they worship God, they acknowledge Him as the Creator, the Creator, They acknowledge him as as the person of revelation. They acknowledge him as the God of history. Their prayers are rooted in scripture. They quote Psalm 2. Their prayers are are, are rooted in what happened in Jerusalem, the cross. That's the focus in the middle of their prayer. And that is what is flowing from their hearts. And then when they have worshipped, then they ask God for something. I think there's a challenge there straight away. How many of my prayers start with me asking God what I want him to give me or do for me when really our prayers should start with worship, acknowledging him as the creator, the revealer, the provider, the God of history. And then when we've worshipped him, then we can ask. And what they ask is really, really interesting. Because remember this context of persecution They don't ask. If it was me, I would say, "Lord, would you destroy the chief priests and Pharisees? Would you kill them all off, or would you at least make them sick so they can't make them remove their power, get rid of them, take them away from my life, so my life is a, a nice smooth road where I can preach the gospel easily?" If it was me, that would be my prayer. But they don't pray that. They don't pray that God would remove the obstacles. They simply pray that God would make them even more bold and even more courageous in order to keep doing what God wants them to do despite the problems. I'm not saying we should never try and pray against things which are difficult in our lives, but sometimes I think our first prayer should be, God, make me courageous to handle the difficult things and still do your work despite the difficult things. And if you want to remove the difficult things, Lord, we'd love you to do that. But my first prayer is going to be, make me bold, make me courageous, make me strong, make me able to do your work despite the situation. That is what spirit-filled prayer looks like. Now, the second thing, as I said, so that's an overflow of their words. The second is an overflow of their deeds. And specifically in Acts chapter 4, we see it, it shows itself, it demonstrates itself in an overflow of giving, of generosity. Again, you see, we read throughout Scripture that not only do our words come from our hearts, but our giving comes from our hearts. 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 9 verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Deuteronomy 15, you should give freely, your heart should not be grudging. What we give, when we share, when we're generous with what we have, that should come from our hearts. And if our hearts are filled with the Holy Spirit, then this will reflect the giving that comes from our hearts. Jesus, again, do not store up treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. We see two types of giving going on here. I'd like to just highlight them both for a moment. We see two very distinct kinds of giving, actually. Verse 32 and verse uh, 34 to 35. Now, the first one is verse 32. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That is not a giving away. That is a welcoming other people to you to enjoy what you have. That is still giving, but it's not giving away. Now, this isn't a one-off. This is a lifestyle. This is an ethos. This is a culture that they had in their community because they were spirit-filled. It's demonstrated probably most obviously in hospitality, welcoming people into our homes in order to share the good things God has blessed us with. Several of you, I know, have been, uh, maybe not yet, but are in the process of welcoming Ukrainian families into your homes. That is spirit-filled generosity, because what you're saying is, this is my home. I love my home. It's a safe, comfortable place. I'm going to share that with someone in need. That is an ethos. That is a culture. That is something that happens all the time. The other kind of giving, though, is not an ethos. It's a very different kind of thing. Verse 34 to 35, it it says this, from time to time, so this isn't all the time, this is a one-off. From time to time, those who owned land or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sale and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. That is a very different kind of giving. That really is saying what you've got and saying, I don't need it anymore. I'm going to sell it or give it away and the proceeds of what I'm giving away will be used to help someone in need. So that's more of an emergency situation. I think that happens when the Holy Spirit prompts you and says, I need you to do this one-off because there's a a specific situation. It's very different than the other kind of giving, but they both come from these Spirit-filled hearts and there's an overflow of giving and generosity, either by inviting people in to share what you have, or by going out and giving away what you have so that others can benefit. One last point this morning, and uh, this is where the table tennis thing comes in. Now, my table tennis um, example is pretty trivial, really. And actually, I, you know, I, I bet you've all got little, maybe not all of you, but I, I reckon a lot of people here sitting there going, I know how that feels, Mark. I, I do the same thing. Maybe not playing table tennis, but at work or in a family situation or when you're driving or, or whatever. You know, that something comes out of what's on the inside that isn't really in character. I tell you what, I, I, would, I would never punch a table in front of Noah, unless I was playing table tennis. (laughs) But sometimes things come up from what's inside us and cause us to do things which which are, are out of character, and you think, where does that come from? And I know my table tennis example is a little bit trivial, but I'm sharing it because I'm saying that we're all like that, aren't we? That's human nature, that sometimes in a moment of pressure, in a moment of anger, in a moment of frustration, maybe when you're tired, maybe when you're stressed, Maybe when you're really up against it, that's when some of that negative, some of that rubbish comes up out, the, out, out of your heart and you metaphorically slam your bat down on the table. Now, what's interesting, the reason I say this is, is this, is because what is really interesting about this early group of disciples, as I first started talking, as I said at the beginning, is that they were facing great persecution and they're, they're facing persecution as the church more than we are experiencing anyway in this country now. And I think the point I want to make is this, that, that actually a sponge which is soaked, which is filled with the Holy Spirit, will, will stuff will pour out of it. But it's when you're squeezed... No, thank you. There's enough. Thank you. When you're squeezed, it really comes out. When you're under pressure, when you're feeling twisted, when you're feeling like everything's pressing down on you, it's too much, that's when what really is in your heart comes out, I think. And what is so amazing about this group of early disciples is that they were facing pressure that most of us have, have never faced. This physical threat's being thrown into prison for their faith. And yet when they are squeezed, what comes out is a determination to pray, a determination to worship, a determination to keep preaching the good news, even though they knew that was the one thing that would get them in trouble. And what came out was a generosity to each other, which is really amazing. A willingness to invite people into their homes, to share their possessions, to not view their possessions as their own, and a willingness from time to time to give what they have away when they face need. I, I just think that's incredible. You know, and, and actually, maybe God, this is a bit sore still, and maybe, <laughs> maybe, God, has a, maybe God has allowed it to be a little, a little sore this week just to keep niggling me, say, come on, Mark. You know, compare my slamming the bat down on the table with the example of the early church in Acts 4. I'm nowhere near that. But the good news is, the good news is, That all we have to do is come to Jesus every day, maybe 10 times a day, and say, Lord, would you fill me up again because I'm running on empty. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit again so that I may overflow with words that praise you and a generosity of spirit that serves those around me. And Lord, fill me up so much that when the pressures come and I'm really squeezed, I overflow with even more goodness for you even more goodness towards you amen let's stand together I want to pray we are just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us again and I'm praying that thank you very much I'm praying that for myself and I'm praying that for you So we say, come Holy Spirit, come and fill us again. Fill our hearts with your goodness and your love. But what flows from us is goodness and love to those around us. Come Holy Spirit, come and fill us again this morning. Come Holy Spirit, thank you Jesus. And particularly come and fill, Lord, those who are feeling squeezed. Maybe financially, maybe under work pressure, maybe relationally. Those who are feeling squeezed, come and fill them. Thank you, Jesus. It's interesting that Peter was filled again. Peter, the great apostle who had been filled so much on Pentecost, he needed to be filled again. And if Peter needs to be filled again, then so do I and so do you. So let's welcome the work of the Spirit in our lives again this morning. Welcome his filling. Thank you, Jesus.